You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Life together, we say. And it's not just community for community's sake. Um, We are glad that we have friends, but we're actually gathering around a very particular thing. And folks, this is, again, um, I'm taking us through the vision statement of Res, life together in the goodness of God. This, is, this may seem like a real generic or maybe like, not generic, uh, a real um, broad stroke kind of statement, but, and it is, but we mean really specifically the gospel. Whenever you hear life together in the goodness of God, what we're bringing to mind, what we're saying in a very simple and accessible way is that God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus. This is what we mean when we say life together in the goodness of God. So life together, belonging in community, and not just belonging around community for community's sake, but taking that even deeper. We're gathered around the goodness of God, something very particular. Now, why is that interesting? Why is that at all profound to say? Because, because we could say, what is goodness? If you put that on Facebook right now, you know what kind of responses you would get? What is good? Man, you'd get all kinds of things, right? well, this is good or that's good. And, and then we would say, well, but who gets to say what is good? Who's in a place of authority to actually say what is good and what is not good? That's up for grabs, right? Right now we live in a society where like, not only are you sent to be autonomous, but you're also like, goodness is up for you to decide. And so for a church, a community to actually say, no, 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 here's what the gospel is. God's reconciling all things to himself through Jesus. So we're going to live out a life together in the goodness of God that isn't determined by uh, social norms or kind of the trend of the day or which is on the right side of history kind of business, but we actually want to wrap ourselves around a very particular claim of the goodness of God. And where do we find the goodness of God? Mostly, most clearly in Jesus, right? So when we say life together in the goodness of God, we're making a whole bunch of claims that kind of work against what, what if you don't pay attention, these are actually real like society's norms, these normative statements society makes. We're making antithetical claims saying, no, we need to belong in community and we're gathering around the goodness of God. Um, Another gift that community can be for us and for our neighborhood, besides um, being a people who are embodying the goodness of God in community with one another, that's a huge gift, right, to a neighborhood who maybe doesn't experience the goodness of God, has never seen it. Um, Another gift is actually for us. Someone asked me, what do I get out of belonging in community? One way to really quickly be confronted by your problems is to live in close proximity with other people. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Um, someone told me when I first got married, like uh, marriage is such a gift because it shows you just how selfish you are, like nothing else. And it's so true. Close friendships can be the same way. When we commit to living in community closely with one another, guys, I know it can be tough. Like, trust me, I get it. Um, but there's actually a gift here. If we can remain, if we can abide with one another, not because we have similar beliefs and not because we really want to will this to be, but when we gather in community around the goodness of God, we're actually being confronted with ways that we can grow and with ways that others can grow. We're, we're confronted with these invitations to discipleship, to growth. So it can be a gift to us, even when it's tough. Yeah, I think that's good. There, I won't even, yeah, I'm good there. What, does anyone, anyone have any questions or observations about 
um, just this vision of life together in the goodness of God and what we're, what we're claiming about this in the context of our neighborhood. Anybody have any thoughts or questions about that before we move on? Yeah. Yep. Can I punt that to a few minutes? Because I'm going to talk about what it means to be rooted in our neighborhood, specifically here in South Austin. That's a great question. It's coming. Any other thoughts about that? Does anyone have any aversions to community? Anyone ever been burned? So I, I, realize, I, I realize that what I'm saying here may come across to some as like, this is really naive and idealistic. Um, but here's, here's what I want us to like get a hold of. If the gospel doesn't work in community, then let's just like give it up now. Like, let's not do this thing. It's hard. It costs us so much. But if the gospel is true, if it's true that God's reconciling all things, including us to himself through Jesus, and he sent his spirit to fill his church and to realize this community, his bride, if that's true, then let us be converted to the church, to this vision, this beautiful vision that God is inviting us to be a part of. I think that's something worth risking, don't you? I think we should give it a shot. So there's my, there's my plug. Um, a few scripture references that I just wanna point you to that are really at the heart of this vision is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19 um, and Colossians 1, 20. Both of these talk about God reconciling all things to himself through Jesus. I would recommend those to you. And also, if you're kind of um, thinking, and we'll get to this in our class, like what is the gospel? Can I just point you to 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter? Just read that and you'll get a really good understanding of what it is, is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. So our goal for membership and discerning what it means to have life together in the goodness of God is to become aware of the gospel, to realize it in community with one another, in our own lives and in community with Jesus. And to do this, this isn't just gonna kind of happen on its own, but we actually have to be a people who are intentional about this. We've got to like set up some boundaries for us, some safeguards, some really healthy lines for us to say, we're doing this and not everything else. We've got to be specific. So, um, and we'll get to it at the end of the class, but there's uh, in the back of your booklet, there's a membership commitment. And these are just some bullet items that I'll walk you through that are outlining this, this is the kind of community that we wanna be. This is the kind of commitment we wanna make. So we'll get there. But that's our way of kind of marking out the territory that we're gonna inhabit as a community. Okay, so life together in the goodness of God. That is our vision. Um, to, uh, next week, we're gonna talk about the mission. How do we, if, that's, if, if the vision is the hilltop that we see, and we go, yeah, that's what God's calling us to. The question is like, well, how do we get there, right? What's the, what are the steps we're gonna take now to get us to that wonderful destination that God is drawing us to? We're gonna talk about that next week. What I wanna talk about this week is more, just leaning into that vision, when we say life together in the goodness of God, there are four key values or words, things that are just like convictions for us that should shape everything that we do as a community. Things, and I wanna tell you, these are descriptive things. These aren't things that we've said, um, well, we should, we should be this way, so let's like, put a word on the wall and, and really aim for that. When we uh, talk about our values, we're talking about the, the ways that Rez is already gifted and the things we've already seen God do in our church. And we want to say, ah, we see that, Lord. We're gonna, we're gonna put a word to that to help recall us to the gifting that you've given us as a church. So there's four of these and they're in on that second page of session one, rooted, sacred, kingdom, community. 
These are those four words, and I'm gonna walk us through each of these. If you have a question, just raise your hand, stop us. I'm hoping that we can kind of eat and think and, and um, dialogue together as we do this. All right, rooted. So what, what do we mean by rooted? What do you have on your sheet there? What does it say? Rooted what? What's that? The gospel, the scriptures, and the tradition. What does it mean to be rooted in the gospel? First and foremost, I think this is, you've heard a lot of the gospel already in our vision. The gospel is just gonna be everywhere for us. And I think there's a really good reason for that, right? That's like, that's what this is about. So what does it mean for us to be rooted in the gospel? Again, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, write that in that square, 1 Corinthians 15, specifically verses three through eight and 19 through 22. Eugene Peterson, he, he paraphrases that passage like this. He says, first things first, don't miss this. God is loving and saving a lost humanity through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. First things, be rooted in this fact. God is saving, loving and saving a lost humanity through, and check this out, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. I know many of us have, when we've heard the gospel preached or taught before, it, it is, um, it's really cross-centric and that's good, but it's almost to the exclusion of anything else. All you hear about is like, all we need from Jesus is the vial of his blood and there's the gospel. You know, we just need your blood, Jesus. Um, but there's actually so much more to it than just the death of Christ. People have died before, right? He's not the first one. What makes his death so special? Well, to understand the rest of that picture, you've got to consider his life, his death. And this isn't quite often talked enough about uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, where he sits, check this out, God, the son in human form, now, right now, sitting in human flesh beside God the father in heaven, managing all of history, directing it right now. That changes things for us, doesn't? I mean, talk about metaphysic, like our way of making sense of reality, that should blow your mind. When we say we wanna be rooted in the gospel, we want to make our home, put an anchor in this story of Jesus, his life, everything he was announcing as he roamed around and told parables and preached about the kingdom, the kingdom's at hand, everything that Jesus taught, his death, we wanna be anchored in his death, his resurrection. This is like a non-negotiable for us. We want to be immo uh, immovable about these things. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We wanna be rooted in those things. Oh yeah, it's, it's hard when we talk about it all the time in like the creeds or the prayers. Um, it's hard to forget about these things. Our yeah, and we've got an icon over here, which is pretty amazing. I would love to talk about that right now, but I'm gonna resist. So we're rooted in the gospel. We're rooted in the scriptures. This is, a, this is another kind of bold claim if you think about it. Um, how do human beings make sense of reality? How do we know what's true? How do we know what's good? Well, this, this Christians are rooted in the scriptures. We consult the Bible, we study it, we scour it, we look for those ways that God has, been, uh, has delivered us in the past, his activity in the past, in the present, and even into the future, when we look ahead in Revelation, we see how the story ends. Now, this isn't to say that you all totally understand the scriptures, or do I? To be rooted in the scriptures, we don't have to act like we've got some like fake confidence about everything that the scriptures are saying to us. We will never get to the bottom of what scripture is revealing to us. 
It's like infinitely mysterious to us and yet knowable. So what I wanna create some space here for is when we say we're rooted in scripture, we are, and you can look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 for this. Scripture has this prominent place in our life to form us, to shape us, to, in, to inform us, right? To direct our steps. At the same time, we wanna hold it with such regard that we don't master it, but it masters us. And so we can ask questions. We can be skeptics about scripture. We could say, wait a second, what's going on here? We can ask really audacious questions like, I know that's what you believe, but what has the church always believed about this passage in the Bible? You get into a lot of trouble if you ask these kind of good questions. We wanna be a kind of a place, a safe place to ask really good, thoughtful questions about scripture, to learn scripture, to, to discover what God's revealing to us, and then to be mastered by it. Okay, does that make sense? Being rooted in scripture. Questions, yeah. Oh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. It's Paul telling Timothy what scripture is useful for, how it can be used in our lives. Um, we're, also, we're also rooted in tradition. This is, I know, I know what I'm saying here. This is like new, new for most of you, um, but it's actually not new for most of you. You have all been rooted in a tradition. Some of it is probably like a very young tradition. Maybe it's a, a non-tradition tradition, you know, like non-denom churches who are a part of affiliation of churches, which is really a denomination. Like, we may say we are not tradition, uh, we are not rooted in church, but we actually, that is a tradition of thought to be unrooted from a tradition. So you can't get away from it. What do we mean when we're saying, sorry, philosophical trip there. What do we mean when we're saying we're being rooted in the tradition? Um, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, he says this really interesting thing. He says, I hand on to you what has been hand, handed over to me, what has been given to me. I'm, I'm just passing along what was given to me in the first place, which makes you wonder, what was he given? Like, who gave it to him? And then he begins to recite those very, very intimate words of Jesus in the upper room with the disciples on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, the words of institution. This is what Paul says, I was given these words, and now I hand them to you. And I think in, in, in even just that subtle little gesture in scripture, he's actually demonstrating something really essential to the Christian life, which is that we don't get to make Christianity in our image. We don't get to determine what it means, but we actually get to consult our tradition and ask, what has the church always believed about this? What is the revelation of Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension? Well, how has that been handed to us and revealed to us throughout history? We want to be rooted in that kind of a tradition. Even ways of praying, we wanna be connected globally and historically to the way the church has done these things. Again, not, not controlled by them or like mastered by them. I think of tradition kind of like a trampoline actually, like kind of like a, a rocket launch pad, a place to begin and proceed. And it also helps us keep in mind that this church that we plant, um, we plant not just for ourselves, but we plant for our children. We want to hand them a tradition as well. And not tradition in some, you know, like gross kind of ingrown sense, but a lively flourishing tradition when like no one would disagree with me saying, don't you want to hand your children a really beautiful way of following Jesus? A really life-giving, winsome way of like bearing that easy yoke, that light burden. Don't you want to teach your children how to like follow Jesus that way? You're giving them some tradition. We want to give them that tradition that we've received. So we want to be good steward of as, stewards of it as well. Um, something that's not written on your, on your uh, in that square um, that I want to mention is that we are rooted in the neighborhood 
Jeremiah 29, 11, God talks to his people about seeking the welfare of the city. This is, this is his design. This is his desire for his church, his people kind of in exile to seek the welfare of the neighborhood. So we've got, we've got things just like right across the street that our church is participating in. We've got um, all of these organizations and nonprofits down the street or across the street. We're actually looking physically in our neighborhood and saying, God, you've placed us here. What does it mean to be established here and then to seek the welfare of this neighborhood, working for its good, according to God's good purposes? So we want to be aware of that, not just blind and closed off and kind of cloistered as a religious community, but we actually want to um, go out into the world following the cross, seeking the welfare of the neighborhood. Um, and then lastly, this isn't written on your, in your notebook as well, but I wanted to reference this. We are rooted, check this out for a philosophical trip. We are rooted in a future hope. We're rooted in a future hope. Revelation 21 verses one through seven. If you wanna just like cry like you're binge watching a dope drama, um, read these passages. No one's ever cried watching a Netflix drama. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like uncontrollable. Okay, um, read Revelation 21, one through seven. There's this image of where history is headed. I'm really the only one that's ever, done. I've never done that. I don't cry. When you read Revelation 21, there, there's like, I mean, back up even. Read chapter 19 through 20 and 21. It's amazing this hope that God is bringing about for us that we're involved in and that his son is like securing for us. We can put our trust and our hope in that future. That's where this is all headed. So we can be rooted in something that's yet to come, this future hope. Okay, rooted. There's kind of a big picture for rooted. Any, any thoughts or questions about that? Does anyone think, oh, Drew, thank you. Yeah. Can you talk to me more about that as a tradition that we're part of? Mm-hmm. That helps us deal with new issues that the church wasn't dealing with or understanding that might have questions that are really living. Yikes. Thanks, Drew. Way to tee that one up. I'm gonna use my trusty little pad here. Can y'all see this? Okay. Let's say this is this the way that God has commended his people to live. Let's say this represents what Paul said. Oh, sorry, you, you guys can't see it. Let's say this represents what Paul said. What, I, what I've been given, I hand on to you. This is like the norm of the Christian community throughout history. This is like the living tradition, okay? Um, we, would we say that God only works here? No, of course not. Like God's done, he can do whatever he wants to do, right? He can do stuff out here and over here, like out here, right? It's God's prerogative wherever he wants to work. He's God. His Holy Spirit is like, like a wild goose, you know, just kind of running and roaming wherever it pleases. God can work wherever he wants. Where should we build our home? As Christians, where should we say, you know what? That's the place I'm gonna build my home. We can build it out here. We can build a house on this because God worked here once and he may again, sure. We could build our home there or, and this is, this is like when we, say, when we say something has a Catholic character here at Res, what we mean by Catholic isn't like Roman Catholic necessarily, but something that is according to the whole. Kata halas is the, the way that Greek kind of puts this together. According to the whole, according to the way that God has always worked in history, we want to build our home here. Not to say that God doesn't work outside of this, um, can God's grace find us beyond the sacraments? Totally. 
Absolutely, all the time. But can we come to the table and be assured again and again that God's grace will find us? Yes, you can build your home there. So first thing I wanna say to that is, let's build our home here where God has promised like where God has promised to nourish his church and the way that the church has always proceeded, let's always consult the norm of how Christians have always been Christians. At the same time, here's the problem with that. If we took this and we kind of um, turned it sideways and looked at it from the side, it might look like this timeline, right? And this norm that's been going throughout history has all of this other cultural stuff that's going on um, throughout history, right? That maybe look different to us looking back at it, but this is kind of like the place that they built their home and they were living in this norm of Christianity. Let's say, this is a little bit of a simplification um, because their church history is just super complicated. But let's just say there's just like this general kind of according to the whole posture of Christianity throughout history. Well, now in 2017, we're dealing with a whole set of mess that the early church never had to really deal with. Well, not entirely, but we're dealing with some like really unique issues. And so the question becomes for us, how do we make sense of our lives in the present as Christians who appeal to the Catholic church, the church according to the whole? There is not a simple answer for that. But I can say, and this is why saying rooted is actually really helpful. We can say what we are rooted in, where we are building our home. We can't figure all of it out. And in fact, God have mercy as we try and figure out how to minister to this kind of a world, Right? but we can say we're gonna build our home here on the gospel. We know the gospel. We know the scriptures. We know what the scriptures are revealing to us, or at least we're trying to know, we're trying to understand. It's so hard to understand sometimes, but we still appeal to the scriptures. And then we also have this beautiful tradition that says, hey, this is how, these are some ways that the church has always embodied the gospel and interpreted the scriptures throughout history. Why don't we give this gift to you and you make sense of it in your current place, in your current time. So there is not a single answer to that, but there's actually a posture that I want us all to kind of take a look at and go, yeah, that's us. We want to be informed um, by the gospel, rooted in the gospel, rooted in scriptures, informed by the tradition, but also um, looking out into the world and saying, we've got some work to do, right? Ambassadors of the kingdom. The kingdom is here, is at hand. Does that get out a little bit, Drew? Okay. So this places us in this really strange place of like, we're Catholic and we're evangelical and we're charismatic um, and we're, what's left? Huh? Ordered. ordered. And we're, or, that's right. And we're ordered, right? When someone goes, are you Catholic or are you Protestant? I'm like, yes. <laughs> this is like the space of Anglicanism that we're trying to make sense of as a community and has a really messy, but really beautiful history. So we say things like, it's more of a posture than an answer, you know, those kind of things. Sorry. It's not a cop-out. I really do mean that. Any, yes, sir. What does rooted have to do with our tradition as Anglicans? Yeah, so um, basically all that I'm describing to you is the Anglican way, but without using like churchy Anglican words. Um, there's some real specifics there that, uh, are we going to get to this? I don't think so. Uh, and let's not leave it to chance. Let's just talk about it. Um, some ways that we make some real, real strong commitments to being rooted in tradition is, and, and actually uh, connected to the Catholic whole of the church and yet living in the present, trying to make sense of the gospel in our neighborhood. One of the ways that we do that is through something called apostolic succession. So we look at the first generation that Jesus at the table said, you're my apostles. 
And then those apostles turned around and laid hands on and commissioned apostles. And then those apostles laid hands on apostles. And we have this like spread of those sent ones, those apostles of Jesus. And actually, um, we, this is so important to us. We want to be connected to this charism throughout bodies, throughout history. It's so important to us um, that we call it apostolic succession. And we look for it. How, where can you find the church? Well, where do you find the apostles? So for instance, in my ordination, this is like really important. Um, in my ordination, you, you can trace the laying on of hands to Sean McCain back to the apostle John and Polycarp in Turkey. It's like incredible, this lineage that we are connected to. Now again, it's not, this isn't some idol. This isn't something we need to make like, you know, uh, make or break kind of deal over, but it's something actually to be celebrated it's a real way that the tradition has come to us, not just sentimentally and intellectually, but God using real bodies throughout history, real people's lives to pass along this way of being a Christian. So bishops for us is a way of submitting to this Catholic tradition that we have, this way of being a Christian, by taking their lead, seeing how they address culture, appealing to them and saying, Bishop, what do we do? The bishop's job is to defend the faith, to protect the church. So we have this really beautiful bulwark, this shield above us and before us that is Christ's bishop. God bless our bishop. And our bishop is Todd Hunter. It's in the back of your book. You can see that. But we are arranged, even the way we arrange ourselves is in accordance with this being rooted in the gospel, being rooted in scripture and being rooted in the tradition. Do you have something else in mind, Father Perry? Okay. Okay, moving on. Um, no more questions on that one. Sacred. Um, if, this, if you've ever come into res and you've smelled that sweet fragrance of incense, you say to yourself, man, something sacred is going on in here, right? Right, right, right? Come on, people. <laughs> sacred. Why, why is sacred something that we want to say this is a value of ours? Well, because, um, again, if you consider the world we live in where nothing is sacred anymore, everything's kind of desacralized, um, to give worth to something is actually a really human desire, human impulse. Um, in the garden when God said, Adam, I want you to name all these things. It was actually a way of God sharing um, this sacred act of blessing creation by naming it, setting it aside as something that's actually special, something that participates in God's own being. It's sacred. It's special. We want to be the kinds of people who have a sense of the sacred, who know, who can discern, who can notice, recognize those ways that, those things that are sacred in life. Really, another way of saying this, we want to be able to recognize beauty and participate in it. So the way we worship, we, we, we like spend a lot of time and attention on the way that we worship because we, we really want to become the kinds of people who um, believe and actually act on the truth that the living God, the holy and living God is among us. And because of that, like the burning bush with Moses, th this is sacred space. What we do with our bodies, which are sacred, by the way, matters. It postures us. It helps us like wrap our head around the fact that um, God has good intentions for things and actually set things aside for good purposes. And so we want to like see that and we want to go, yeah, that's sacred. We want to participate in that. So our worship is, is, is not um, liturgical and it's not uh, for the sake of being liturgical. We don't do this because it's super old and that's cool. We do this because it's a way for us to participate in the sacred life of God. We want to become believers in God, that he's holy and he's among us. And that makes things sacred. Sacred prayer. We need to learn to pray. Luke 11, one through four. 
Um, well, actually, on sacred worship, look at Revelation 5, 9 through 13. I think that's a real helpful one. Sacred prayer. We, we actually need to learn to pray. Prayer is, is spoken theology. You can pray poorly, in fact. I know that we've all been said, like, just pray what's on your heart. And that's fine. That's good. But you can actually pray stuff that's, like, not true, right? And so it's good for us to, like, learn to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Like, Jesus gave us words to pray. It's a sacred act of communion with God. And so we want to treat it as such. You can look at Luke 11, one through four, for the way that the Lord teaches the disciples. Beauty, like I said, recognizing beauty, that's actually a real sacred thing for us. The way that things look, if you're an artist, you get this. Things that are beautiful, why are they beautiful? We would say because they're participating in something beautiful about God. They're reflecting somehow like an icon, like a window into the beauty of God. They're participating in that somehow. There's their sacred beauty. First John, one, one through six. You should look at that. And so things like, like we started our church by buying a chalice, which for some people be like, what in the world? Shouldn't you buy a sound system first? I'm like, no, sound systems are lame. We, I mean, where's Alex? We love sound systems. They're great. And our sound men, we love them and women. Um, but, we, but the sound systems don't build churches, right? They don't constitute the church. What constitutes the church? The sacred encounter with Jesus constitutes the church. And so we want to, um, we want to utilize beauty in such a way that shows that, that puts that before us week in and week out and goes, this is what's beautiful. This is what's sacred. We, uh, in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, we, you and I, we're not just looking at beauty. We're actually, we are sacred. We're participating in the sacred life of God. We have this sacred identity. We're a kingdom of priests. You're a holy nation. A, God, a people of God's own choosing. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. God has scooped you into a sacred identity that you have. And so we treat one another accordingly. We don't treat each other, one another like poorly or treat people like trash. We don't disrespect people. Why? Um, yes, they're human beings and they're worthy of respect, but they're made in the image of God. These are like sacred people that we want to tend to. And we also, lastly, want to practice, we talked about this a little bit today in the sermon, I want to practice a sacred generosity. Um, the act of giving and tithing is not some sort of um, like, you know, don't, don't feel guilty, just give, you know, or I don't know, there's so many lame rationales for why to give that are just totally uninteresting. That I think the most compelling view of, of giving and generosity we find in scripture, we find in the temple where God's people would set aside a tenth of their, the first fruits of their labor and say, God, we realize that this has all come from you and it's sacred. And so as your kingdom of priests with the sacred identity, we turn as your priests and offer all of the sacred wealth back to you. This is a sacred act of worship. And when we turn to our neighbors, when we welcome people into our homes, this isn't just ordinary hospitality. Because we are in Christ, when we open our homes, we are inviting people into a sacred encounter with God. Let's hope we do well at that, you know, but we're with him. We're sent on his behalf. So there's a sacred generosity and hospitality here. I just read this really great quote by John Wesley, who was an amazing Anglican um, before he accidentally started the Methodist church. Well, he didn't actually start it, but that's a long story. Um, John Wesley, he said this, the question is not how much of my money I will give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself? Can I say that again? This is interesting. This is like, this is wealth according to the kingdom of God. This is wealth according to, I've given you bread from heaven. Where do you think your wealth comes from? From yourself? You think you earn that stuff? 
This is like the goodness of God being lavished on us. It flips the way we think about money and wealth. The question is not how much of my money I will give to God, but how much of God's money we will keep for ourselves. Doesn't that flip wealth for us? I think it's actually a little bit more true. And it puts it in light of this sacred generosity, the sacred act of worship in giving that we all have. So that's sacred, rooted, sacred, kingdom. We want to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus sent the 12 telling them, the kingdom is here, go announce this. Look at Matthew 10. Read all of Matthew 10, you'll see that. It's all over the place, but there's a good spot. We want to announce, so we actually have to use words when we're talking about the kingdom. Yes, it's good to, to, to embody and live out these things, but we actually also have to say with words, with, with winsome words, with good words, proclaiming the kingdom. Look at Matthew 10 for some examples of that. We want to embody the kingdom. So we don't wanna just be running mouths about the kingdom, but we actually want to embody the way of the kingdom. When people look at us, they go, there's the kingdom. I recognize it by the way they live. And we, we see this in Jesus himself. In John 1, the word, the word of God became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. There's like this embodied reality that it's the heart of the Christian life. So we wanna embody the kingdom and you see that in John 1. We also want to demonstrate the kingdom. Um, do you know that passage in Luke 4 when Jesus comes up and they give him the scroll of Isaiah and it opens up to Isaiah 61? John Mays, I know you know this one by heart. This is one of my favorites too, brother. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. What does he say, John? Can you even say it? <laughs> release the captives, to restore sight to the blind. What Jesus is saying is, you got, oh man, it's such, such a good, it's so good. It's so good. Please go read that. Isaiah 61, write that all over the place. Go read that. Jesus is saying that all of those promises throughout history that God has, make, has made to us, I'm going to demonstrate those to you. I'm not gonna just talk to you about it. I'm not just gonna be it over here, but I'm actually gonna go into my neighborhood and make a mess with the kingdom of God because God is releasing captives. Jesus is demonstrating it. And if we are with Jesus, we go with him demonstrating the kingdom of God. So we proclaim it with words, we embody it in our lives and we demonstrate it. We find those creative ways of inaugurating the kingdom of God, of participating with Jesus's work, demonstrating the reign and rule of God in South Austin. And that looks like a million things, people. It looks like so many things. And, and in fact, to actually do all this, you, I can't answer this for you. You have to, in the place of your life, ask God, what does it look like for me to proclaim the gospel in my workplace, in my family, in my communities, in ways that are winsome? Don't be a jerk about the gospel. The gospel, the gospel is not for jerks. It's not about jerks. It's for jerks, actually. But you don't have to be a jerk when you're saying it. You don't have to tell people they're going to hell. Don't tell them what they're avoiding. Tell them what, what to be for. Tell them what God is doing for them. Win them. Proclaim it in a winsome way. How do you do that with your people in your community? I don't know. You have to answer that for yourself. How do I embody the kingdom? How do I become a kingdom kind of person? When no one's looking, how does Sean McCain become a kingdom kind of ambassador? And what are those ways in my life, with my family, with my friends, in my community, my pub, how do I demonstrate the kingdom? Maybe it's like being at line at Stout House and be like, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Sure, I'd love for you to buy me a cup of coffee. Awesome. Here's your cup of coffee and you leave them. You don't even have to go, and I bought you this cup of coffee because Jesus loves you, you know? You could say, sure, you know. 
But, but demonstrating the kingdom doesn't have to like close the loop on other people and be like, did you see what just happened there? You see what happened? Demonstrating the kingdom is like for us people. Demonstrate the kingdom. Proclaim it when you need to, but also know when like, you can just demonstrate it and let it be because the Holy Spirit's at work in these people's lives. They know what's going on. Man, isn't that good? Kingdom people. Okay, let's move on. Community, any questions about that? Oh, for, um, can I just, can you write this down too? Matthew 16, 13 through 24. The church, therefore, in, this, in light of the kingdom, the church is a sign and foretaste of the kingdom. There's something special about the church. It's the church that is God's instrument to bring about his kingdom. Why? Because we're awesome? No, but because the church is the body of Christ. You wanna make a mess in the world? Incarnate the body of Christ in South Austin through the church. Like that, you'll have a mess on your hands. It's gonna be really interesting. It's gonna be a beautiful mess. That's how the church and the kingdom are related. The church is, is the kind of like the, the herald of the kingdom in the neighborhood. Does that make sense? The church isn't just like, oh, we can gather in our living room and just like, you know, um, pat each other on the back and read scriptures and pray. Yeah, I mean, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is with you. But there's something about the whole church being gathered where we go through this whole litany of worship, this whole liturgy, and in it, God is constituting something special that's bringing about the kingdom. We see that together when we worship. So folks, listen to me. It's so important that you're here worshiping for your own sake, but also for the person's sake who's standing next to you who may be having a really tough time, who maybe can't say the creed today, but you're gonna say it with them and for them. You're gonna carry the faith with them. You're gonna carry it. It's so important that you're here, not only for yourself, but for others. Let's be the church. And let's like try to be here on time. You know, when you miss like half the service, you actually miss worshiping with the church. You miss hearing the scriptures read. So like come even 10 minutes before, I bet. And have a time to just prepare yourself for worship. Pray, sit in your seat. Say, Lord, have your way. Come Holy Spirit. Can you imagine if our entire church was here 10 minutes before, all praying that the Holy Spirit would come in power? Man, we should try that sometime, yeah? Okay, done. Church community. Community, last thing. Um, uh, and again, this is one of those things that I think is like actually really countercultural. Uh, people say community all the time. They say belonging all the time. But, they, but we mean something quite different about that. God means something quite different about community. What we want to set out, mark out at Res, is a community where people can belong first. You can belong. You can walk in here, enjoy our good coffee. You could be one of us. We don't all have to agree on all kinds of theology because your theology is just as screwed up as most other people's theology. So otherwise we'd have like a community of one all over the place, right? No, people can belong. They can be right at home with us. And church, Rez, you have a gift at this. The reason this is on the paper is because when I look out at coffee hour beforehand, I see a bunch of people who like want to belong, who love, enjoy belonging with one another. Let's keep that up, let's do it. Let's have this like really scandalous open door where everyone can belong, where everyone can be loved. And let's have a community that where people can belong, but they can actually build trust with one another. They can have lasting friendships. We read in Acts 2, this like kind of idealized moment in the early church, right? Chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. This is that community um, in the early church where, where you were invited to belong and you could actually place your trust in people so much so that they would share their wealth with one another. 
Let's become a kind of church that does that, that takes care of each other. Don't you want that? I do. I think it'd be amazing. Can you imagine like the problems that we would cause with like a, you know, society and like systems of wealth if all of a sudden we started like taking care of each other in really scandalous ways and people started noticing like, wait, but you're not gonna get that money back. Yeah, it's okay. We belong. We're the kingdom. There's abundance. It'll be all right. This is what the, uh, the, the, the community in Acts was doing and it seems pretty incredible. But pay attention to what they did at, to become that community. They didn't just have like good intentions, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Interesting, what was that? Well, probably a lot of it is what we have in the New Testament, but there are pro- and we know for a fact there were more than that. We have the apostles' teaching and then we have the apostles' disciples' teachings. We have the earliest writings of the church. We should consult those things and see what was going on in the early church and how they safeguarded and nourished and cultivated this community. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Be here, people. Belong, be a part of a table group. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. What do you think that meant? Just like dinner in general? Pizza, maybe? Um, Well, if we look at the early church and what they meant by that, they meant something really specific by the breaking of bread. There were two kinds of meals going on, an agape meal and there was the Eucharist going on. We're gonna talk about that in our class as we continue. But it's curious, you find it right here in Acts chapter two, right? And the prayers, this one's interesting to me too. What prayers? Written prayer, we don't like that. Well, the early church seemed to really like that. The prayers, not just prayer, something specific that was in the tradition. So you can see in some ways, we're like trying to pick up what was going on in the early church and continue to inhabit that way of being a Christian in community. So we wanna belong and we wanna trust and we can do that. And when we look at Acts 2, there's some hints about ways to do that. But we also want to be, let's not be idealists about this. Um, Let me be really clear. And if it's the only thing you remember today, that's fine. I'm going to let you down as a priest, as a person, as a friend. I'm like gonna blow it. I've already done this many times with, with many people, not many, a handful of people. I'm gonna like really mess up things. Um, and I'm okay. I mean, I, I really don't want to do that. That's not my heart. I never want to cause any kind of rift with people. Um, but what gives me hope isn't the fact that I need to be perfect for you all, but that because of the gospel, we can actually reconcile. I can make things right with you when I blow it. So when we do the peace, it's not just this formality. We actually want to like make things right. The other day at the peace, I went to Mario and said, hey man, I said something to you the other day that was like, just not very respectful. And I, it's been haunting me. Will you forgive me? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, just forgive me, dude. (laughs) That's what that moment's for, right? So we don't have to be perfect. None of us are. I've blown it. You guys are gonna blow it. We're gonna have some like serious conflict because we're living in close proximity with one another. But here's the hope. Not that we need to be perfect, but that we can actually make things right. We can reconcile with one another. God goes before us in that reconciliation. He has reconciled us over death and sin, what can stand in the way of God's reconciliation if even death and sin can't stop? That's reconciliation of God. Nothing can. So we have this hope. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Jesus included us in his death and and resurrection that everyone might be included in his life. So he says, therefore, become ministers of reconciliation. Become the kinds of people that reconcile with others, just as Christ has reconciled with you. That's what Christians do. We make things right. 
This means not gossiping. That's actually not reconciliation. Talking about someone else instead of talking to the person. If you ever come to one of us and go, man, this person, like, you know what I'm saying? We'll say, oh, that's interesting. You should go talk to them about that. But don't talk to me about that. I hope that's what we say. You know, you don't trick us. Don't try and trap us. Um, but when, when people try to triangulate, and this is what we just naturally do as human beings, we'd rather talk to somebody else. Don't do that. Just go and talk to your brother and sister and do it in humility. Say, look, here's what I thought you said to me. And it really hurt. Can we make this right? You don't have to like assume that you're right and they're wrong, any of that. You can just be really open-handed with this. I'm giving you permission right now to go to each other and say, oh man, the other day, this really hurt. And I know you probably didn't mean that, but I just wanna like make things right with you. Can we make things right? That's so much better. Guys, that's like an open window letting in fresh air in a community as opposed to talking to everybody else in your life but that person. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Um, There will be divisions in our church life. You will have an opinion about how much incense we should use. And there will be other people that say, why aren't we using enough incense, for instance? I mean, um, and, and that's okay. We can like, we'll have to bear with one another. But again, because of the gospel, we have this hope of reconciliation, of overcoming these divisions and coming to the table with one another and going, you know what, let's figure this out. Let's not give up on one another, but let's be rooted in community with one another and not go anywhere and like persist and abide and say, we're gonna work this out. This may, there may be some awkward thing that comes up that we're like, oh, that was tough. But can we be the kind of community that is so safe, so rooted, so stable with our hope in the gospel so much so that we could say, there's nothing we can't work out. Let's abide with one another. Let's open up channels of communication. Let's talk to one another, forgive one another. Let's overcome our divisions. If we cannot do that as the church, what hope does the neighborhood have to see and realize the gospel people? The world is divided on anything you could possibly imagine right now. If we cannot overcome our divisions, who can? If Jesus isn't enough to overcome divisions, what is? We've got to do this. We actually don't have a choice. If you're a Christian, you're participating in reconciliation. You're overcoming divisions. This means ethnic divisions. There's absolutely no place for racism in our church. Gender divisions. There's absolutely no place for sexism in our church. Social status, like socioeconomic dynamics. There's no place for any of that. We're all made equal in the great leveler that is the cross. Because I'm clergy, I'm not better than you. There's none of this like class stuff going on at Res. All those divisions have been collapsed. We now all participate in the life of Christ and he has set aside some poor souls to serve the rest of the community. This is the way leadership works. It's not something that's lorded over people and, and abused by, with power over people. Like I can get people to do what I want if I manipulate them. No, no, no. If you're a leader in Christ's church, you're the servant of all, right? You have a towel wrapped around your body. You're washing feet. You're serving. You want to overcome division, become servant leaders, serve other people, seeking not your own interests, but theirs. Man, we have such good hope in the gospel. And that translates really practically to really healthy relationships among us. Can I give you two other tips? And this is just stuff that I've seen in community that I'm like, I've learned this. It's helpful. Assume the best of each other. If someone says or does something to you, don't immediately think that person just hates my guts and they're trying to stab me in the back and blank, 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 whatever. Instead, practice this. You know, I don't know what's going on in their life. They must be going through something pretty tough. I'm gonna assume the best of this person because I know that they love me. 
I mean, I hope they do. I love them. And even if I don't feel that, I'm going to decide to love them. I'm gonna practice that in the way that I'm treating them, the way that I'm not talking about them behind people's back. And I'm gonna go and talk to them. I'm gonna assume the best to them. I'm gonna be charitable is another way of saying that. Give more than you think you maybe need to give. And if you need help, come talk to us. We'll help you. Okay, community. We're gonna continue to learn that. But um, those are our four rooted, sacred, kingdom, and community. All right. The rest we're gonna go over next week, session two. Um, as you go home, you can look at some of, uh, this would be a good time to look at the membership commitment. Look at this at home. These are the ways that we're gonna be committing and I'll be going through that, some of the staple ways. Um, I've also put in here a seasons at res. A bunch of you guys have asked like, what's time look like at res in the church year? When are parties, when are major feast days that we need to make sure we're here for? The way we're organized uh, and some, some information about giving. We have text to give now at Res, where you can like text something to a number and it magically shows up in the offering baskets. It's pretty amazing. Um, so there's all that information there as well. Last thing I'll say is everything that I've mentioned to you today about our four values, rooted, sacred kingdom and community. Um, uh, this, this is a, a little um, table group guide that we have that we give to our table groups. If your table group, if you're not a part of a table group, see Father Perry and you need to get a part of, be a part of one. Um, but we have a bunch of these copies and you can go through this. And what it is, is um, kind of a, a, a Bible study of rooted, sacred kingdom and community, what it means to belong here at Res. And so you can go deeper with these, this resource, okay? We have a whole bunch of these and you can get one at your table group. All right, is there any other questions? I only used this once, I'm disappointed. Seth, is that a thumbs up or a question? Thumbs up, brother my little brother. Anything else? Okay, if you do have questions, you can email me. My contact info is there. You can email Father Perry or any of our staff. In fact, she just probably email Michelle Johnston. She's the heck of it. Where's Michelle? Is she even here? Not here. She loves, oh, there you are. She loves getting emails from everybody. All right, let me, um, let me send us in a word of prayer and a blessing. God, thank you so much for the gift of community and the ways that you've called us to belong here at Res. We pray that your blessing would precede us would go before us, that you would continue to shape this community into your image, that we would be a witness of your kingdom, not only in our lives, but in, in, in view of the neighborhood's life, that they would see you, Jesus. Shape us into the community that you've called us to be, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. May the grace of the Holy Spirit enlighten your hearts and minds, amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.